This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning. It is Tuesday, July 28th, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined right now by Charles Power and Chris Hummer. Some national college football writers for 24-7 Sports and the masterminds behind another ranking list here today at 24-7 Sports. We've got the top 50 players in college football. I don't know who to start with. Like, Which one of you wants to, wants to wade us into these waters? But, Charles, we're going to go to you. Actually, we've done a lot of lists this offseason. We've done 20 under 20. You know, you do your recruiting rankings every month. We've done several other lists of breakout players and redshirt freshmen and all that. But when you guys try to rank the best players in college football, what is your number one concern? And do you try to make it different than perhaps a 2021 mock draft, which you've also done? Yeah, I think that was one of the things that that Chris Chris and I were um, talking about before we started doing this is just kind of what's the criteria um you know i think some of it is positional value but some of it is really just like you know their, their impact on the game and just how good of a of a college player they are you know it's just kind of a maybe a catch-all kind of deal um it's not straight like you know the nfl draft the mock draft stuff is potential um and uh you know it, i think we're we were factoring in a little bit of that um in, in terms of guys who we thought could get better but for the most part this is i think the ones who we think are going to be the most impactful uh, p- college football players uh, this coming season. So that was kind of where we started off. I guess Chris could kind of chime in as well. Um, but that was kind of the the first step, I think, for us was just hammering that out. Yeah, I, I really don't think there's any set metric you can apply with something like this. We did certainly use positional value as kind of a measure to kind of help break ties. We also kind of at the beginning before we got started, sorted every position by tiers. Uh, and ranked them accordingly. And then we kind of, once we had those rankings together, we sort of, as we went along, put them into tiers in the college football kind of pecking order in terms of what caliber player they are and use that to kind of help us slot our rankings all the way down. Um, The only caveat I would say is we did have a couple cases where we are banking on projectability. A lot of times for sophomores uh, that we think are about to blow up, Maybe their resume isn't as strong as some other players ahead of them on the list or behind them on the list, but they're guys that we think that can help define the season. So there are some instances where we kind of went back and forth on like how to slot people, but we just tried to use our best judgment overall. And no list like this can ever be perfect and everybody's going to have their opinion, but we did our best to take an analytical approach to something that's really pretty subjective. Yeah. So back in the day at 24-7 Sports, we've, we used to rank the top 247 players in college football. So this, I would hope, was a little bit easier. I'm not going to read the, the top 50 out. That would be crazy. But I'll read the top 10, and then we can dive into to that and the debate at the top if there was one, and then cherry pick a few of the other selections within the top 50. But 
I'll, I'll read the top 10 right now. Number one, Trevor Lawrence, Clemson quarterback. Number two, Panay Sewell, left tackle for Oregon. Number three, Justin Fields, Ohio State's quarterback. At four and five, we have a pair of LSU Tigers. Jamar Chase, the receiver, is four. Derek Stingley, the cornerback, is fifth. Micah Parsons, Penn State linebacker, is six. Seven and eight, we've got Marvin Wilson, the defensive tackle from Florida State. And then eight is Miami's defensive end, Gregory Rousseau, who had 15 and a half sacks last season. Nine is Chuba Hubbard, the Oklahoma State running back. And then 10, Charles's guy, Trey Lance, quarterback, North Dakota State, who, to be honest, I did not know who Trey Lance was in January. And now he's the 10th best player in college football. He's going to compete with Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence for the number one spot in April's NFL draft. Let's actually start there. Charles and Chris at at number 10 was this. I'm going to guess this was Charles stumping for Trey Lance here. Yeah. I mean a little bit. Uh, I I think, I think some of it was just, you know, it, it it would be hard to, if we were going to put Trey Lance to me, the bigger question was, are are we going to put Trey Lance on the list period? And if we do, he, he needs to be ahead of some of these other quarterbacks um, just because I think when you look at how good of a season he had last year, uh, granted at the FCS level, um, you know, I, I think uh, that that was kind of the more of the, the discussion we had were like, like, are we going to, are we going to include FCS players in this list? Cause I think, you know, it's as good of a, of a season as Sam Howell had. And I think as we're expecting him to have in his second year at North Carolina, I think right now you have to probably put Trey Lance ahead of him. So that was kind of, I think at least, my logic with with talking to Chris about this, um, and you know, I, I think he, Trey Lance. I I really wish we we had that that Oregon North Dakota State game, and like that was that was one that that kind of when the Pac-12 went conference only that really kind of uh, hurt my soul a little bit because I just really wanted to see that. But yeah, I mean, that, that was that was kind of my logic on it. At least I think if the bigger discussion was if if we were going to have an FCS player or not. Chris, the top of the list, Trevor Lawrence one, Panay Sewell two, Justin Fields three. Was that pretty uniform between you guys and the rest of the national team that helped with this? Yeah, I thought so. I don't I don't think anybody really had any qualms with that. I think a lot of people probably expect the quarterbacks to go one, two on that list. But when you look at Panay Sewell's kind of overall body of work in college as a two-year starter, he emerged as one of the most dominant left tackles in college football history last season, at least according to like a measure like pro football focus. I had a hard time slotting Justin Fields with a one year kind of starting experience over Panay based on their resume at this point. I think Panay is one of the most dominant kind of players we've seen at a position in a very long time. And he deserved that second spot on the list. Um, when you talk about Trevor versus Justin, I think it just comes down to resume. Trevor has a national championship on his ledger. He's 25 and one as a starter. He's just a guy who separated himself from the rest of the pack at the most difficult position to play in the country. Yeah, I think that's kind of where we we are going into the season. Like just the the amount of like the body of work and the the resume for Trevor Lawrence is just so um long, even dating back to high school. Like he's thrown just we we have so much documented on Trevor Lawrence. Um I, I think so if we're kind of almost like seeding them going into the season, I mean I, I agree. I think you have to go there and then then I, I agree with Chris as well. Like Panay Sewell is just, he's such a unique um, and just uh, well-established offensive lineman. Uh, it, it's rare that we have offensive linemen that 
are that good that early in their college career. A lot of times they're kind of guys who emerge later, maybe in like their last year or so of eligibility or kind of their junior season. Um, and they kind of just pop up on draft radars and we go, oh, that guy was pretty good. Well, Penny Sewell, we've known he was that good since he was a true freshman. That's just, that's not common. And, and that he's such a big part of Oregon's offense and run game. Um, he's kind of a rare uh, offensive tackle, almost kind of like a, like a Indomitian Sioux kind of was for, for defensive tackles a little bit. Charles, when you look at the top 10, who do you think you're most surprised ended up in the top 10? Um, I, I think just, you know, it, looking at this, just kind of like, if you were just a casual fan looking at this, you'd be like, Oh, wow. Like they have a running back in the top 10. I, I think for, for this style ranking, you know, Chuba Hubbard, if you just look at how important he is for Oklahoma state's offense um, and, and kind of what he brings, you know, just be, being so prolific um, last year, uh, you know, he, he led the country in, in yards per game, but still was, you know, running for 6.3 yards of carry. I think everybody who played Oklahoma State knew that he was getting the ball. Um, so so I, I think if you were just kind of taking a bird's eye view from this, it would probably be Shuba Hubbard. But but I think it's justified with just in terms of kind of what we're going for with with this list and how important they are and just top players in college football. So that, that would probably be my pick. I think when people look at this list, they're going to realize that we're looking at a weak year on the defensive side of the football. Chris, you and I were talking about that on Slack. What is this? We've got, let's, let's count the defensive players. We've got Stingley in the top 10, Parsons in the top 10, Wilson, Rousseau. So that's a lot. That's, that's four guys in the top 10. But outside of that, guys, you get you get all the way to 16 between before you get your next defender, Caleb Farley at, at Virginia Tech. Then you go to Dylan Moses at Alabama. It doesn't seem like it's a strong year, and I do think that will be reflected in the draft. Chris, I mean, expand on that a little bit. You hate to make a list that is so offensively top-heavy because then it kind of feels like we're just picking out the guys with the best stats and the people who we get the most TV coverage. But I do think that's a fair representation of the fact that it's not going to be a great year on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I think there's a lot of unanswered questions heading into the season defensively, at least at kind of the elite level on that side of the ball. Overall, there's only 18 defenders on that list. So we have 32 offensive players and 18 defensive players. And that's that's certainly not how we set out to kind of make this list happen. We were just kind of going tier by tier, and that's just how it shook out. I think it's kind of reflective of where we're at with defensive players this year, and especially along the defensive line that Gregory Rousseau ranks number eight on this list. I think he's a worthy inclusion given the production he had last year in the ACC, 19 and a half tackles for loss, 15 and a half sacks. But that's a guy who coming into last season was a virtual unknown. He didn't even really start starting for Miami until about midway through last year when he emerged as probably the top or overall defensive lineman in the country. And he's got the kind of the frame, the body of work to project forward with that. But I think any other year behind a guy like Micah Parsons and a guy behind a guy like Derek Stingley, you'd have another kind of group of potentially elite prospects to kind of slot there. And right now what we're doing is seeing a pretty significant drop off after maybe Dylan, Dylan Moses kind of with that list in terms of elite players, there are guys we're really high on that could be really good. And I'm sure we'll get there. A guy like Kyle Hamilton at Notre Dame, but there's just like a lot of, there's a ton of offensive talent and we're seeing that reflected in the game as a whole, but the defensive side of the ball certainly um, is going to shake out a little bit more during the 2020 season in terms of what we look forward to with the NFL draft. Yeah. I, 
I, I was going to say, I, I think for me, it's, it's, it's two things. It's twofold. Like, like Chris pointed out, it's, it is, it is weaker. I think there are some players who will like somebody's like players could definitely going to emerge. It's just the, the ones who would maybe be the one, like the ones who kind of pop, pop out this year, maybe don't have the, um, the, the resume or just, just the body of work, like a, maybe like a Christian Barmore, uh, like a, a guy who was like a backup at Alabama who could have maybe that kind of Quinn and Williams type of explosion this year, but just, there's just not enough to go off of if you're putting him on this list. Um, you know, uh, Chris and I went back and forth on uh, Chris Rumpf, the, the second for, for Duke, who really wasn't a, a, a starter for them, but was highly productive kind of in, um, you know, as, as like a pass rush specialist. And then I, I also think on the flip side, like Trey, I, I know you and I have talked about this is, is, you know, the, the amount of receivers we have every year, it, it's just kind of uh, just, just spiking. Uh, and I, I like, for instance, like in last year's draft and in college football, everybody was like, you know, the receivers this is the best receiver class you've ever seen. And now people are kind of saying the same thing again. So I, I think that's kind of the new normal is that we have so many receivers. It's kind of hard to leave guys like Tutu Atwell or Tylen Wallace. It's just kind of hard to leave them off a list like this when, when they're, they're so good. I, I think it's just a product of, a lot of the top teams going four wide and just so many good athletes playing receiver now spreading the ball around. So, so I think that's a little bit of it as well. I think in a different year, a guy like Caden Stearns, who was a freshman all American at Texas in 2018 would have probably been on this list as a junior, but he suffered an injury really early last season. That's kind of holding us back from including him on the list. There's a guy like Jabril Cox, who is another FCS player coming to LSU that we think is going to have a really important role in the Tigers' defense next season. Probably their second best player outside of Derek Stingley, but we have to kind of see it on the FBS level for him to make this list. Chris Rump, as uh, Charles mentioned, doesn't have a ton of starter snaps. And you kind of move down the like the elite defensive players in the country, and you just come across questions like that at a much higher rate than you do with offensive players right now. And as Charles said, with so many receivers kind of doing big things, you, we kind of lean towards production as ahead of projection. Charles, of all the players in the top 50, let's assume they all read this article on Tuesday. Who's going to be most upset about where they rank? And I know Chris just talked about a Texas Longhorn, so I won't be surprised if you went with Sam Ellinger, who's at number 27, which I think is a little bit low. But uh, who, in the, who in the top 50 has the biggest, most worthy biggest, gripe? The biggest gripe? Yeah. Oh, man. Um I maybe like like Creed Humphrey at forty. Like if we're going kind of off of just established, um, I, I think he was one who who really was was a key cog in Oklahoma's offensive line as as a redshirt freshman. Um, so he's one who's been around for for a long time. Came back for his senior year. I mean, I think his play did dip a little bit. Um, uh, like last year, he he might be a guy who's kind of more of like a, a high floor type player who's just, we aren't going to see like make a massive improvement from here on out and, and I mean I, I think Tanner Morgan like Tanner Morgan had a great season last year the quarterback for Minnesota um I, I think when you just look at like his his passer rating was the the fourth highest in the in the country um and really of, of returning quarterbacks would be second highest after Justin Fields and we have him at 41 so um you know maybe I think Tanner Morgan looking up at at some of these other quarterbacks who uh maybe haven't done as quite as much as him or had like quite as good of a, a 2019 season um like, like a guy like Jaden Daniels I think he would maybe have a could maybe have a, a legitimate beef with that 
Chris, are we just, uh, if we're upset about Ellinger at 27, is it just because we went to Texas? Like, is that, or, or do you want to make a better case for that to be higher? No, I think Tanner Morgan was an excellent answer, by the way. I think there were three on the list that I would have pointed to. The other two, as you said, are Sam Ellinger and Najee Harris, who's one spot ahead of him at 26. But with Sam Ellinger, like, I understand why people would be upset with that. He is so important to that Texas offense in terms of everything Tom Herman asked him to do. He has been the leading rusher for Texas at one point in his career. He takes more hits than anybody. That system is completely designed around what he can do with his legs and also kind of his playmaking ability as a facilitator. And something that maybe as people who watch a lot of Texas probably don't observe enough is Sam has gotten much better as a passer throughout his career. Um, He's improved on that every way, every step of the way. He had a bit of a downtick last year, but that's, in large part because of what he was asked to do in that system with as many injuries were there and kind of the shuffling along the offensive line. So I can, I can certainly see an argument for Sam Ellinger to rank higher, but I think when we're kind of making that measurement, Sam from Sam Howell to Sam Ellinger, I think there's a significant projection drop off in what that quarterback can do to kind of, or what has that quarterback has done to lift his team. And Sam Howell is just more consistent than Sam Ellinger's been out throughout his career. I think Sam could easily jump up into the top 15 with a great season. But just right now, based off the totally body of work and what he did a season ago, we had to knock Sam Ellinger a little bit kind of heading into 2020. The College Football Daily will be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. A really interesting cluster of names. 12 is Travis Etienne, Clemson running back. 13, Jalen Waddell, Alabama. 14, Wyatt Davis, offensive guard from Ohio State. And then 15, Devontae Smith, Alabama. Charles, like I, the, the way the final rankings came together, I don't know, you know how much, like every step of the way, if you guys hemmed and hawed over who's 14, who's 15, whatever. But when you look at these two Alabama receivers, first of all, would you go Waddle and then Smith, and then and then second of all, how does anyone begin to like to, to really sift through yeah. which is most important? Because that that's tough for me. Yeah, no, it it, it it's tough. I I think for me at least, I I kind of factor in a little bit of a projection with 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 Jay, with Jalen Waddle. I think when you're looking at Alabama's offense and who um you know losing Jerry Judy, losing Henry Ruggs, I think there's a lot of um, targets on the table for, for Jalen Waddle to, to kind of take, like kind of eat those up a little bit. And w- when you look at kind of how Alabama plays with the RPO stuff and the quick game, they're going to have a new quarterback. I think Jalen Waddle could really um, kind of become the, the, the quarterback's best friend there. Uh, so, so I think that, that maybe is a, a slight projection. And then he also kind of what he does on special teams too. I mean, he's, he's maybe like one of the best return men we've ever seen in college football. So I think that that is, is also maybe a little bit of a tiebreaker if you wanted to go with that too. But Devonte Smith is underrated. Like I, I think, you know, at least like in NFL circles, he's very highly thought of. Um, it, and I think he's a guy who maybe if he had come out last year and had like a good combine and 
done well kind of in, in pre-draft circles, maybe could have been one who pushed for a first rounder. So, but, but he's going to have a lot of targets as well. So it, it, it's tough, man. These receivers are real tough. Like, I mean, I love Rashad Bateman too from Minnesota. He's the best receiver in the big 10. Um, and is a guy who was really has kind of just had a fantastic run dating back to his senior year of high school and just kind of hit the ground running in Minnesota. And it's such a big part of that offense. And, you know, they're losing Tyler Johnson. So he's going to get a ton of targets. So I, I mean, I, it's going to be like, you know, Jamar Chase's, um, his, his 2019 season was, was hard to like, it's, it's one of the best receiving seasons we've ever seen, but I, like these other guys are going to push him. I think, uh, you know, assuming we kind of have a full season and you, you're looking at the quarterback situations and stuff like that. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's going to be really fun to kind of parse those receivers. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's one of the more interesting storylines, I think going into the season. I've got one more question for each of you, uh, Chris, who outside of the top 50, would you bet an entire paycheck on landing within the top 50 come mid season or postseason? Oh man. I don't, I mean, and I'm you don't journal. have to do this. Like, you know, you know, it says that you don't have to take it. You to put it all down. Yeah. I mean, Chris Rump and we talked about him a little bit earlier is the guy that we had on this list. Uh, for a very long time before initially bumping him off the end. Some of the advanced metrics with him scream elite pass rusher. What we were kind of held back with is he just hasn't had a lot of starting reps in his career and a lot of extended kind of play. He's been more of a situational pass rusher. Duke is going to expand his usage significantly this year. And I know how much he's put on about 15 pounds this offseason he is still really raw kind of in his development. Um, he's a guy who did not start playing football until his junior year of high school. And he's improved considerably every year of his career. I think he is going to be a guy by the end of the season that we look at as one of the best pass rushers in the country. And I, I'm going to pivot real quick and I'm going to mention another name. It's Walker Little, Stanford's offensive tackle. We had to ding him some because he just was injured last year and hadn't kind of emerged as an elite prospect to this point. But I think by the end of this season, if he's healthy, he's going to be a top three offensive lineman in college football and as a lock for this list. Interesting. Okay. I, w- I was expecting you to maybe go with the, a guy who's going to be a true freshman. We did that round table on 24 seven sports and I went with Brian Brzee. I was, he, that was the first one that came to mind for me. Like we, we didn't put freshmen on here. So it's like, who's the yeah. most, who's the freshman who's going to, we're going to look up in a couple after a couple weeks of the season and be dominant. Yeah. Because there's, there's three guys who had the one-on-one rating in the top two, four, seven ratings. And, and two of those are quarterbacks. So Chris, I don't know about yours, but uh, you, uh, you wrote the story on rump. <laughs> hey, we'll like 103 we'll overall grade for Walker little. It's not like he, like he had a higher grade than Brian That's true. at high school. Yeah, got to remember Charles, how what kind of prospect he was. No, you're right, uh, Charles. I had a different question for you, and I'm actually going to tee you up on a specific guy. Although, if you had, if you have someone who you feel passionately about, right. as far as bet the paycheck, he's going to be in here. That's not Brzee. You know, f- feel free to go with that um, if you if you do. But I kind of want you to introduce everyone listening to the final player on our list, number fifty think you might have something coming up on him in a few weeks we've talked about journey brown the penn state running back i'm starting to see some buzz for him as rb1 in 2021 which surprises me given that we've got chuba hubbard we've got travis Etienne, we've got Najee, even got puka on this list but why is journey brown becoming such a popular commodity among the scouting world right now yeah so journey brown is one who i think everybody 
that kind of does, if you do any kind of digging on him, um, you, you feel like he's primed for, for a really big season. Um, you know, he, he really, if, for people who maybe don't follow Penn State, he probably burst in the scene in, in, in the Cotton Bowl a little bit. He ran for 200, 200 yards uh, against Memphis. I think that's like broke, like broke the Penn State bowl record. It might have been the Cotton Bowl rushing record. Um, he finished last year. What, he ran for 6.9 yards to carry, 12 touchdowns. But I think what people love about, about Journey Brown is this is a guy who's like really athletic. He's really like he's extremely fast. It's kind of digging on his background a little bit. Um, you know, he w- he was a uh, state state champion 100 meter dash uh, sprinter. He he broke uh, a, a state record that was set by like, an Olympian. Um, he ran like a like a 10.43. So for those who don't know, like that's really really fast. And he he's got he's added good size. He's just kind of developed well in Penn State's program. And I think when you're when you're projecting running backs, kind of that, that, that you want to make that jump, you, you, you ideally want ones who are, are like running for like a good yards per carry. Um, and despite limited, um, maybe limited, you know, reps or, or, or touches like that was kind of what, you know, um, maybe what was a little bit of a sign for a guy like Bryce Love, for instance, who kind of took over that role from Christian McCaffrey at Stanford. Bryce Love was running for like eight yards carry. So it was like, you could say like, okay, like he gets a lot more carries. We're going to see him kind of go off. And I think that's kind of where everybody's at with, 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 with journey Brown a little bit. Um, so, so I think, you know, combining his just skill athleticism, he was highly productive in high school. Like looking back on journey Brown, he's a guy that if he was coming out out now, I think knowing what we know about the position and just kind of some of the critical factors, he would have been a lot more highly rated. So, um, you know, only had 129 carries last year. I think we're going to see that, uh, go up a lot. I mean, that, that's under 10 carries a game. So if he gets 15, 20 carries a game, you can kind of extrapolate that out where he's a guy who could be a 1,500, 2,000 yard type rusher. Um, granted, he stays healthy. So I think a lot of people are expecting pretty big things from him for sure. And we we saw we saw that increased production late in the season. Penn right. State kind of really leaned on him heavily as their number yeah. one back over the last yeah. seven games. He and, had over 10 carries a game for the last uh, seven. And, and the new offensive coordinator, Kurt Soraka from, uh, from Minnesota, I, th- I think they're going to like kind of his MO is just get the ball, your playmakers. And he's just kind of the obvious playmaker on that offense. So I think there's a feeling that he's going to get a lot of touches this, this, uh, this season. It's very Penn state to have a, a first round worthy running back who also tests super well. Yeah. I don't know what's in the water at happy Valley, but that's as good of a program as anybody's got. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I, I think everyone's going to be excited to check out the full list and maybe hop into your mentions and, and find some, some reason to argue with you guys. Y'all have a good one. That's good. Thanks. Thanks. Okay, that's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. If you think someone was snubbed, leave us an an Apple review. You can leave us a rating too if you want, but leave us a review. Tell us why your favorite player was snubbed and where he should have been and maybe who he should have been ranked over. And just if you're wondering as well, Alabama led the way with six players in the top 50. And furthermore, if you're wondering about, again, my biggest snub, it would be Sam Ellinger at 27. I think 27 is way too low for one of the best quarterbacks in the last 10 years in college football. But anyway, for Chris Hummer, for Charles Power, for our producer, Tiny Levitt, I'm Trey Scott. Thank you all for listening. We will see you on Wednesday for the next edition of the College Football Daily.
has come for drag queens to save the world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. <laughs> Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.